On this edition of the Scott Radley Show podcast, we are talking to Hamilton author Gary Barwin. He is unquestionably one of the most creative people in this city. Also a fantastic writer, has won numerous awards, excellent, excellent author. And you need to hear what his new book that's just been released. You need to hear what this book is about. You will be telling your friends, if only about the plot of this book, you will be talking about it. Stick around for that one. We're also talking about the news that came up earlier this week, and now we've had a little bit of time to think about the CFL-XFL connection, whatever that is. What is this? And now that we've had some time to ruminate, is this good or bad for the CFL? Stick around. Today on the Scott Radley Show on 900 CHML. We have, uh, and I hope you know this, we have some uh, very talented authors, artists, musicians, of course, you know about the musicians, but from this city, we have produced an awful lot of people who have contributed an awful lot to the artistic texture of this country. Is that a good word? Texture? I guess. We'll use it. It'll do. But we do. We've had a lot of people who have done a lot of amazing things. And my next guest is absolutely in that list. He has not only written close to two dozen books, uh, his last book, Yiddish for Pirates, won the Stephen Leacock Medal for Humor. He was a finalist for both the Governor General's Award for Fiction and the Scotiabank Giller Prize. Those are enormous awards. And he now has a new book out. It's called Nothing the Same, Everything Haunted, The Ballad of Motel the Cowboy. His name is Gary Barwin, who joins us now. Gary, how are you this evening? Nice to talk to you. Knight, well, listen, uh, thank you for doing this. And, and I must say this, I know you've been up for a bunch of awards. You've won a bunch of awards. I don't know if there is an award for titles of books. You should win that every single time you come <laughs> up with a new title for your book. You, Every time you do it, I think, I don't even know what the book is about, and I've got to read that. Yeah, it's a fun, it's a fun thing, right? It's like the outside of the book that speaks, like the first thing is somebody walks by and it's saying, hey, like, check this out, you know, does this, intri- you know, does this intrigue you? It's, it's a, yeah, it's a fun thing to do. It's also hard. Well, for sure. You know, when they say the book in some weird way, Gary, when they say you can't judge a book by its cover, I've always thought that was a silly saying because in some ways you can judge a book by its cover, not entirely, you know, obviously that's not a, a perfect thing, but there is some judgment of a book and you can sometimes have some sense of what it's going to be based on the cover and the title. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, I think that's like, my book, the designer did a really beautiful job. And part of it is just to, you don't know what the book is exactly going to be like, but it's to intrigue you, to entice you, to make, you know, to to reach out to you and, and make you want, make you curious, I think. So, I, yeah, I mean, you, I don't know if you can, if you necessarily judge it, but you certainly are attracted to it or, or, you know, drawn to it in some way, I think, by the cover. Do you? Do you name the books? Do you name all your books or does, or does the publishing house have any kind of say in this? Um, I have named my books. I mean, they can, if they don't like it, they can, they can change it or they can ask you to change it. And so I did actually work a little bit with the, with the subtitle of this one, the battle of model, the cowboy. We, I hadn't that as the subtitle. And then we ended up coming to that. Um, you know, I love working with editors because a good editor, like my editor is, um, you know, you're, you're ripping things back and forth. It's like, you know, you're, it's like being in a band with a really good other musician. You, you know, it, it um, stimulates you into thinking of, you know, new things and, and to make things better. So that was, it was a good thing to um, extend it. But yeah, mostly I've made my own, my, made my own titles, which is, which has been great. 
All right. So for people who are listening and, and you know, you're saying, well, there's lots of people who write books, Scott, why do you have Gary on? Well, let me tell you a, because Gary is very accomplished and, and his books are great, but also uh, Gary, um, I, I will say this and you don't have to say it, Gary, you don't have to brag about yourself. The, you, you're, you're, well, let me just read to people. This is the outline of the book as provided by the publisher. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's quite long, but the, <laughs> let me just read it. Modal is a is modal is middle-aged, poor, nerdy, Jewish, and in desperate need of a shave. Since having his balls shot cleanly off as a youth in World War One, he's lived a quiet life at home in Vilnius with his shrewd and shrewdish mom Gittel, losing himself in the masculine fantasy world of cowboy novels by writers like Carl May. And then I'm gonna skip forward here. Um as friends and neighbors are killed around them, Modal and Giddle escape from Valinius, saving their own skins, but they immediately risk everything to try to rescue relatives they hope are still alive. With death all around him, Modal decides that a Jew's best revenge is not only to live, but to procreate. In order to achieve this, <laughs> though, he must relocate those most crucial pieces of his anatomy lost to him in a glacier in the Swiss Alps in the previous war. I don't, back to me, that's the end quote. I don't even know where to begin. <laughs> okay, so you know, in, I, once I figured out that his testicles were going to get shut off in the glacier freeze, and <laughs> then I, I thought, okay, so what's going to happen to him? Is he going to find them? So one thing that does happen, at least I'll tell you what happens to one of them. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get the whole thing away. But, but one he finds, and he drops it, and it rolls down the side of a mountain, and it snowballs. It gets bigger and bigger, and it destroys the whole village, where, wherein Hitler's, maybe Hitler's child is in the village. And so it gets destroyed. <laughs> so when I was writing the book, I'm thinking, I'm going to get to write that scene. That is going to be really fun. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hilariously absurd, and I hope that's not an insult. I mean, it's meant as a compliment. It is so incredibly absurd that it's hilarious. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things, I mean, the book, the book deals with something serious, which is the Holocaust. But, but part of it to me is how do you write a book? Well, how do people make it through? And what are the resources we humans have? Humor is one of them. Certainly the world seemed like it was absurd. It, I mean, in a terrible way um, during, you know, the Holocaust. So people, you know, people, some, that's one strategy to make it through. And also for me to, for readers to make it through this difficulty. And I think that, you know, humor, it's, it, it's not, it doesn't, trivi in this case, it doesn't trivialize it. it what it does is it, the characters have agency, like they're in control because they're telling the jokes and they're in the, you know, ridiculous scenes of, you know, of their own making. So to me, it was, it's a, it's a powerful, well, technology that humans have, it's, humor is. And so it, for me, writing something that's serious, but also uses this kind of absurdity and humor um, seemed, it seemed natural to me. But Gary, the the part that fascinates me is, and this is with any writer who writes a book, is there has to be a nugget. Of, well, that's probably a poor choice of words under the circumstances, but <laughs> there has to be something, yes. a germ that begins this. Where, how did you wake up one day and say, I got a great idea. He's going to have his crotch blown off and I'm going to build a story about the Holocaust around that. Um, no, <laughs> but <laughs> in fact, um, uh, but well, well, I'll tell you. There were two things. I mean, one of them was I knew that he was going to be a cowboy. I, I I learned that Hitler's favorite novels were this cowboy, uh, this Western writer called Karl May. And so that's where, true. Yeah, no, that is that's actually true. Okay. And which um, 
and what what was you know so he he had this sort of idea of the kind of stereotypical noble savage um, indigenous person, but at the same time I I also learned that he um, he um, borrowed some of the things that he did in the Holocaust from what happened to indigenous people. Um, I mean, he literally refers to what happened in Canada and the United States to indigenous people, and he borrowed some of those plans to use against Jews. So that was really horrifying. Um, so that's that's sort of where the the cowboy thing came from. But then it's like, okay, he's a cowboy. He has to be on a quest. What could he be on a quest for? You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Gary, just before the break, we were talking about the idea of the, the the journey. You've got this Jewish cowboy who's in the Holocaust times who's going to go on a journey. Yeah. Um, so you've got the starting point. You probably, when you sit down to write this, have some idea of where you're going to go to in the end. But when you, and, and I think a lot of people are interested and fascinated by the writing process and the, in, in the creative process. Do you have any idea when you sit down to begin this, how you get from A to B? Not really. I sometimes say, okay, I know they're going to get somewhere. I have some sort of idea, but I really don't know where. Um, You know, as I was saying, I knew that he was, one of the things he was going to do was go look for his testicles, but I didn't, you know, I knew he was going to be a cowboy. And then, but you know, it's all about being macho and the Nazis were macho. So then I was making fun of that. So the testicle thing seemed funny as part of that. And also making new life in the face of all this kind of death. So I knew that he was something I didn't know if he's going to find them. I didn't know what he was going to do with them. I didn't know what was going to happen. And so yeah, I just had this kind of sense that that was an interesting direction to go in. And then you write and you kind of spin, you know, you spin a story and see what seems interesting and what seems, you know, revealing, funny or um, exciting or engaging or just curious, right? It's just like, okay, that seems really an interesting direction to go. Just like I was Do you, do you ever surprise yourself, Gary? Do you ever surprise yourself when you type something and you go, huh, I did not expect me to pop up with that answer today? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, you know, it happened um, in my last book, which has narrated by a parrot. My parrot was, well, it seems like this is, seems like it's a theme now, but my parrot, my parrot was having sex with another parrot. And in the middle of the scene, as I'm writing it, my parrot came out to me. It's like, oh, I have a gay parrot here. And I had really no idea. And it made perfect sense in the middle of the book that that was going to happen. But I really didn't know. And I remember being like, whoa, like what? Where did that come from? Right. But that's part of the delight. It's, it's, it is discovery. And hopefully the reader feels that, too, that when they get there and it's a it's a surprise um, to them. It really feels like a really genuine surprise because it was a genuine surprise to me. Most people, Gary, would have to drop acid to come up with something like that. It, 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 for you, it's just creative. Have you ever sat there and said, okay, I'm writing a story about a Jewish cowboy who's hunting Nazis and searching for his missing testicles, but this particular thing now I've done, that's too far. That There can't be too far when that's the beginning plot for your story, can there? Oh. Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, both of these novels were ones where I was saying, okay, I'm going to try and make them not too weird. So I don't... I don't know. I mean, I really guess it has to, they have to seem like they're part of the story organic. So if it doesn't fit, like even if it may be funny or really um, even not as weird, but if it doesn't seem to fit the spirit of the story, it comes like, it feels like it comes from another book. Then I, then I would leave it out, you know, Uh, as much as they're ridiculous, they also have to feel like they're telling, they're they're telling something that actually makes sense. They're not just random. They fit the characters. They fit the, fit the plot so that I guess that's really what I'm thinking about but you know the fact is reality often is is surprising and and bizarre and and 
so it makes sense to me. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Who would have thought, right, that this is this is a whole year and this is where we are? That seems, you know, incredible and absurd that here we are all walking around with masks and doing all of that. But that's what's really true, right? You know, so I, th- I find that kind of thing really interesting. And the Holocaust, is, I mean, the, you know, wars are just our bizarre thing. Like, what a bizarre thing to do to each other, right? Like how yeah, absurd absolutely. Surprising, right? Absolutely. And and I, I had to look this up. I was amazed by this because I don't, I didn't know until I, I read the publisher's notes, I didn't know really what your background was. And based on, you know, the, the last one, which was, as you say, with a Yiddish pirate, uh, a parrot mm-hmm. and, and this one, the uh, clearly a very, uh, you know, strong Jewish character in this. And I thought, I, I, I wonder, I, I could guess where Gary's from. You were born in Northern Ireland to South African parents. It doesn't, now you have Ashkenazi, is that how you say it? Ashkenazi descent. So so it it fits, but this is not necessarily, you are breaking, there's things here that are unexpected, not only in your writing, but in all kinds of your story here. Yeah, you know, and I guess that's one of the things that led me to write these books is, like, how do you get to where you are? You know, here I am in Hamilton, Ontario. I've been here for 30 years. But my family, my grandparents left Lithuania, went to South Africa, and then my parents went to Northern Ireland. And, you know, we traveled across the world, mostly looking for a safe and decent place to live. Hmm. So, you know, and that to me is that lives are fascinating and complicated. Even if you stay in the same place, it's full of it's full of surprise and complication and things that um, um, once you look into them, you know, make remarkable stories. So that's what I mean. I guess that's what I've been interested in doing in these stories. In this particular case, I was looking into my, you know, my background, looking into um, my grandparents left in Lithuania. What was it like there? What happened there? What happened to the rest of my family that was there? You, uh, you never fail to surprise. And I, I just, I'm, I'm almost terrified to think what the next book is going to be because the ante keeps getting raised here. And, uh, but I look forward to finding out what it is whenever that, uh, whenever that lands, but Hey, let's just celebrate this one for, for right now. This is out. Nothing the same. Everything haunted the ballad of Motel the cowboy is the name of it by Gary Barwin. Gary, just quickly, where can people get it if they want to get a copy of this? Cause they do, I'm sure. It's pretty much available ev- everywhere. So, and you know, any books, any bookstore, um, yeah, it's, it's available. I encourage some really fantastic indie bookstores in Hamilton, which I always encourage people to to support. And so, yeah, it's right anywhere. Gary, always appreciate having you on. Always love having you on here and your stuff. As I say, there there is never a, a time when I read something that you have come up with that I do not say I have no idea, but I want to read it. So listen, <laughs> uh, th- thanks for joining us and uh, for taking the time today. Thanks so much. It's great to talk to you. That is Gary Barwin. Take a look at it. Nothing the same, everything haunted, the ballad of Modal the Cowboy. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show podcast on 900 CHML. Last night we talked about the news that broke earlier in the day about this possible expansion or work together merger. We don't really know what it is with the Canadian Football League and the XFL and, you know, we've had a little while. Well, this is, and let me rephrase, this is a big deal. The Hamilton Ticats, whether you're a fan of the team or not, they are a big part of the culture of this city. If you go across this country and people say, and you say you're from Hamilton, there are certain things people will know about the city, but it's that's one of the things. People, we are synonymous in some ways. The Ticats are synonymous with Hamilton, and Hamilton to a lot of the country is the Ticats. 
as a result, the Canadian Football League in, is a big deal. It is something that really matters and has cultural implications and has social implications and even, you know, something to cheer for and to give us a, a sense of, of goodness, I guess, or excitement that we're doing better than someone else in the country when the team wins, although it's been a little while. Anyway, this idea of the CFL joining with the XFL has really... we. It's really caught people off guard, and we've had a little while to think about it now. I want to bring in Rick Zamperin from 900CHML, right here at 900CHML, and a guy who is uniquely positioned to talk about this because you, I'm sure, know not only does he host the fifth quarter after Ticat games when such things happen here on the station, but he also was the play-by-play guy for the team for three years. He is a man who knows his football and knows his CFL and Rick, you've had 24, a little more than 24 hours now to chew on this one and swoosh it around in your mouth a little bit. What what thoughts do you have now that you've had a little time to think about it? Is this something that when you hear it, you go, I am really excited about the possibilities, or do you go, I am really concerned about the possibilities? I am certainly uh, leaning towards the latter because <clears throat> whenever there are question marks or, or possible red flags or what ifs, uh, I am an optimistic guy, but in this sense, knowing what we know, especially over the last year with the CFL and the COVID-19 pandemic, um, you know, I, I remain somewhat pessimistic in terms of what the future is going to look like. Not to say that the league is going to evaporate. But if there's any sort of merger talk between the CFL and the XFL, <clears throat> I'm ultra-protective, being a fan of this league, being a fan of the Tiger Cats, wanting you know, every team and every player and every coach associated with the league to be uh, you know, taken care of and, and you know, able to showcase their exploits on the field. I, I really want to see this game, the three-down game, protected. So whenever there is an encroachment from an outside entity, and, and we know that the XFL – at one point was planning to launch their 2022 campaign uh, next spring. Um, the, one of the most, you know, uh, explosive commentary or, or, or sentences and what I read over the last 24 hours was the XFL has basically put their relaunch, which would be the third iteration now, on hold pending the outcome of, you know, their talks with the CFL. So the light bulb goes off, the... Uh, the, the, the storm clouds come in because you're thinking of all the different possibilities and, and what ifs uh, regarding this potential collaboration. We're probably you know jumping the gun in certain instances, but we have to think about everything because I think these two leagues are thinking about everything. Well, and when you point out that thing, and it's, it's a really good thing that you picked up there because I think it's really important. If this was simply being discussed as a mere marketing venture together or something else, why would the XFL say they're putting everything on hold for a year? I mean, it's certainly, we don't know exactly what it means, but it certainly gives an indication that it's more than just, hey, let's just bring our marketing tools together on this one. It's, it sounds like a lot more than that. A hundred percent, because as we know, the XFL, at least in its past two go-rounds started right after the Super Bowl. So it is now less than a year for that league to relaunch again. And it, I mean, we know that there's a lot of legwork that goes into launching a team. To launch an entire league, that, that's a lot of work. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of um, uh, you know steps to take in terms of finding ownership groups, finding stadiums to play in, getting those lease agreements in place, uh, getting general managers, coaches, front office personnel, a draft, 
uh, all that kind of stuff, uh, that takes a long time. So for the XFL to say, you know what, we're going to press the pause button and see where this goes, <clears throat> you know, to me, that, that, that makes me believe a little more that there's more to, yeah, yeah, whether it's a marketing initiative or, or any sort of, you know, collaboration that doesn't include, you know, these two leagues merging. Uh, I think that is kind of starting to get pushed back. I think there is more of a chance now more than ever that the CFL and the XFL are going to say, hey, let's join forces in some kind of capacity. Uh, who knows what that looks like, but I'm, I'm beginning to believe that is the ultimate kind of direction these two leagues are going in. I'm sure you remember this. Some people will remember this, but back when this XFL was in its first go-round, so when Vince McMahon and the WWE were behind it and they had mm-hmm. some women in questionable attire as cheerleaders <laughs> and a lot of gimmicks and everything else... Yeah. There was talk back then in some corners that, you know what, the CFL should get in bed with the XFL. This would be a great match. And that league lasted a year and failed. And you think, man, the CFL dodged a bullet by not doing that. And yet now we're saying after it's failed a second time, hey, this is a great league for the CFL to latch onto. What is the evidence that this is a great league for the CFL to latch onto? There really is none, to be honest. I mean, the first go-round, the XFL, and I know there were certain circumstances that didn't go their way, but at the end of the day, it was a league that just could not make money, <clears throat> could not get any ratings on TV beyond you know the first week or two. Uh, but it came up with some things that we still see in, in sports broadcasting today. Uh, you know, uh, uh, cameras on the field following players. Uh, the sky cam, you know, all these different things the XFL brought to the fore, the NFL and now the CFL by extension have been have been using, um, which makes me believe that, you know, if the XFL never comes to be again, the CFL would be OK. And I think if the XFL does come to be, I think the CFL by large part would be OK. Obviously, there's going to be some players that that league is going to snatch away from the Canadian League. But I don't. I don't really think the CFL needs the XFL to survive. Does the league need money? Yes. Do they have to play? Definitely. In front of fans, absolutely. But I don't think the CFL needs the XFL to get to the next level. Um, certainly, they want more fans. They want a younger demo, as you know, every every business out there does, and that's going to be hard to do. But I don't. I'm. I'm really don't think that the CFL needs the XFL. Now, let me throw the the devil's advocate position at you, which is the other side of this, which is in 2012, there were roughly 28,000 fans average at a CFL game. Eight years later, attendance has dropped every single year, and the average attendance is now roughly 5,000 fewer. It has, the CFL is clearly, indisputably, on a wrong direction trajectory. Mm-hmm. And at this pace, or not even at the pace, at this direction, it's going to be in a lot of trouble if it isn't already. So is there is there a real risk of the CFL latching on with the XFL? Because it's got to do something or else it may not be here anyway. It does have to do something. And certainly, you know, Randy Ambrosi, I think, was thinking outside the box a little bit with his CFL 2.0 and going global. I'm still not sold on how that is going to work or even if it is working at this point. You know, I don't think it's working yet. Uh, but I can see kind of the vision. And if there is some streaming deals out there and some added revenue streams, that's great. 
in terms of the attendance figure, and this is not a huge impact, but some stadiums have dropped in capacity. Tim Hortons Field is a great example. You know, Iberwin Stadium was, I think it was 29.3, 29.6 in terms of capacity. Now they can barely get in 25,000. Not to say that Iberwin was full all the time because it wasn't. Um, you know, same with Winnipeg and to a certain extent Regina. Um, but the, the, the key factors here are three markets, and that is Montreal, despite a massive expansion of the stadium, which is probably the, the wrong thing to do at the absolute wrong time, because they expanded to Percival Molson Stadium pretty much after Anthony Calvillo retired, and that franchise just went in the dumps in terms of the win-loss column, and fewer people were showing up in Montreal, and they've had an ownership change now. Toronto's been just an absolute disaster in the stands. You know, one year they'll win a great cup, the next five they're in last place and no one shows up. Uh, BC, I think, is in really dire straits. There's a major market city in this country with millions of people to choose from, and they're not going to BC Lions games because it's just not the buzz uh, that they've that they had previously. So and David those, Braley, be David Braley being gone now, the benefactor, the guy who was passionate about that team, who knows now how much interest there is in keeping that going. Anyway, sorry, continue. Yeah, so I mean, those those are your three biggest markets in terms of you know population um, that you can draw from from a fan base, and they're the three lowest. <laughs> you know, cities that are attracting fans. So that that certainly has to be, uh, if I'm Randy Ambrosie, the, the top three items in terms of trying to turn those franchises around. And, and who knows if that's possible? Because, man, oh, man, in Toronto, you've got the Maple Leafs and the Raptors and the Blue Jays and even Toronto FC well ahead on the ladder of the Toronto Argonauts. And, and there's a lot more other things that people are doing with their discretionary income, you know, when they can, when there's not a pandemic. You know, going to movies or shopping centers or whatever the case is, there's a lot of a lot of things to do in the GTHA. Uh, same same in Vancouver, same in Montreal. But you know, they they have to somehow recapture the magic of those franchises. It's not easy, and I'm not not even sure there is an answer out there. They got to try something. Well, the 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 try something, and this is where I think people have, uh, you know, yesterday when this news came out, and now all day today, and what we're hearing from a lot of people, the fear people have, a lot of people is that you may be able to combine or merge or do whatever else, but you can't lose the three down thing because it's so uniquely Canadian and it's really the the essence of what the Canadian Football League is. But if you expand your league into a bunch of American cities, they're not going to see three down football as real football. That's the fear. And so the pressure is going to be on to bring four down up here and be a farm league of the NFL and Rick, here's the here's the challenge with that. I think is that if you bring four down football up here and become a farm league, I don't think it works any better than just the CFL in the position it is right now. I think, in fact, it may get worse because now the last thing a place like Toronto wants to be is a farm city to Buffalo, right, or, yeah. or some place like that. If you, at least you're separate, at least you can have your own market if you do something different. If you're the same, only worse. Now you're in real trouble. Yeah, you you instantly develop an inferiority complex because, and, and let's let's face it, you know Toronto. There's been you know NFL rumors out of that city for years. If you suddenly have a CFL franchise or CFL XFL franchise, that's a feeder to let's say the AFC East, and and, and all those four teams in that NFL division can choose from the Toronto Argonauts and maybe even the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I mean that inferiority uh, from a fan standpoint. You're thinking, why do I want to go to a lesser league or a lesser game when I can go 
to the pro game. It's no different than you know the Mississauga Steelheads and the the, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Obviously, there's a huge difference in ticket prices, but you want to see the best. And I think that the CFL, the hill that it must die on, is the three-down game. And, you know, I made this uh, uh, suggestion in our uh, uh, Home Games Hamilton YouTube um, uh, channel, which you can subscribe to, comment, like, uh, join in on the conversation, that I think the XFL, you know, the NFL has dominated four-down football for eons. You know, apart from the USFL in the early 80s and the AFL, the original AFL, that launched in the 60s, the NFL is unchallengeable. It is a monolith onto itself. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. You're not going to battle the NFL. The CFL has to retain its three-down game. The XFL should also go to a three-down game, and I think the synergies would work, obviously, much better with the CFL. Um, whether Americans are going to you know, latch onto it, I don't know, because a TV broadcast deal in the U.S., the CFL-XFL partnership is an absolute must. If no one's watching the games, let alone going to the games, it's not going to survive. Tell me the name of the four-down football league, the four-down professional football league, other than the NFL that has survived. <sighs> well, the AFL would have been the only one. And, you know, with the merger into the NFL, that was the only really, truly successful kind of four-down game. But let's not forget, I mean, this is back in the 60s yep. uh, when it launched. So, you know, at, at that time, CFL players were getting more than NFL players. So that was a long time ago, and it was just a different, uh, you know, financial uh, structure altogether in terms of both leagues. But the USFL, you know, launched. It was okay, but in terms of revenue and bottom line, it, it just did not you know, make the grade. And the CFL's in that in that situation right now. There's teams that barely break even after an 18-game season and maybe even go into the playoffs. It's a tough sell. So, um, yeah, there's no easy answers out there. And I don't blame, uh, you know, Ambrosi and, and the XFL leadership from getting, uh, you know, coming together to say, you know, what can we do differently or how can we move the needle in terms of attracting more eyeballs and more revenue so we can continue on? I, my, my concern with this, Rick, is that the fact that they put out dual press releases, that the CFL and XFL put out these press releases, I, I can see almost 0% chance now that the CFL walks back with its tail between its legs and says, yeah, we didn't do anything. Because I, I think they would see that as a perceived failure. And so you've got to now almost, you almost have to now come out with something. And I, I agree with you about the three down rules being the hill to die on, but I can, that that is a that is a concern, and I think if you could get, you know, if you want to get the Rock and you want to get the American folks involved and building with their marketing and everything else and build the three down game, I just that to me is a scary thing. And I talked to a couple p- former players today, and both of them expressed huge doubts and skepticism that when this whole thing is done, that the CFL is going to be standing in a place and in a, in a way that they are going to be wanting to see it standing in, which is, sorry, it's a really cumbersome sentence, but they, they, they had huge doubts that this is going to go well for the CFL is the short version. Yeah. And you know what, being a CFL fan, I can live with a, a merged league. You know, if they want to put in five teams in the U S and one in Mexico and maybe one or two in Europe and make it this global league, you know, that's, that's all well and good. I just can't see, you know, a four-down league north of the border. I think I think we'd lose our identity, and I think the CFL would lose a lot of fans. I don't know how much. I think they would lose a lot of fans because it's 
it's unique. It's, we've had it for over 100 years. It's our game. And for that to change, oof, that would be a bitter pill to swallow. Let me ask you one more thing before we go. I would think that if they were to do something like you just described with the, with teams in the States and Mexico and Europe, and I don't think that's ridiculous. I don't think your suggestion is ridiculous based on Randy Ambrosi's CFL 2.0 plan. Is there any possible way the league c- keeps its name of the Canadian Football League? And does that even matter? Uh, yeah, that would be another, you know, hurdle. I don't think a lot of fans would want to, uh, you know, overcome, but... Yeah, I, I can see it changing. You know, the Continental Football League, the you know the Global Football League, what, you know, the World Football League. You call it whatever, and maybe there's a Canadian division. Maybe it's called the Randy Ambrosi division. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I can see it happening. I can see it not being called the Canadian Football League. It would be, man, it would be a sad day for sure. But I can see that happening. Yeah, I, 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 no. you know what? We've had 24 hours and, and you know, the CFL clearly, I mean, the COVID has not done it any favors nor have the last number of years, but boy, this, this just, this just seems like it's starting to, I don't know, to walk through a field of landmines and you just hope they don't step on the wrong one. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. This, this, this one's hard to digest. It, it, it really is because there are so many so many different ways this can go. And I just hope that both sides, and I just don't want to speak for the CFL, that both CFL and XFL, you know, factions, you know, realize what they're doing when they decide to do it, because there's going to be a massive impact no matter what they do, unless they just say, Hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to just launch into a, you know, a feeder system or some kind of, you know, uh, mix and match where, you know, our players play for both leagues, but they're two separate leagues. You know, I think that might be the best case rose glass scenario that uh, we can uh, imagine, but I think it's going to be much more in-depth than that. Rick Zamperin from 900 CHML. When football starts again in some capacity with some league of some name somewhere, you will be able to hear him on the fifth quarter unless they change the number of quarters in a game, and maybe you'll be doing the seventh quarter, who knows, or the seventh seventh. Can't wait. Or whatever, you know, I don't know. How, it depends how crazy they want to get. Maybe they'll put it into eights now, and you'll have to do the ninth eighth, which doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but, you know, same difference. We'll see. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. The Scott Radley Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML. The Scott Radley Show podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Radley. Thanks again for listening, and do not forget to subscribe to this podcast. It is free. You will never miss an episode. And also, be sure you rate us and review us. Whatever you think of us, we'll take it. Thanks for listening.